I'm Darren. I'm Derek. And this this is the Double D Podcast. Today, we had the honor of interviewing Battle on the Border Hall of Famer, Iron Man, Con Man, Rob Conway. Yes. Uh, This was the interview. I have not been super nervous for an interview in a long time. Little inside knowledge here. Usually get a little nervous when we do interviews because it's an interview. So I always get a little nervous. This one I was pretty nervous about. Um, but you know what? I think it went well. Hope it went well. Hope you guys enjoy it. Um, it went pretty well. March 25th coming up this uh, Saturday. Probably by the time this is um, uploaded, it'll be next week. If you're listening on audio, maybe even video. I'm not sure. We're not sure yet when these are going to come out. But Saturday, March 25th, River's Edge, Cleves, Ohio, Battle on the Border. We will be there. Rob Conway will be defending his tag team titles with Justin Xavier with Bobby Fulton on the side, making sure Fulton or uh, Spectre. <laughs> Spectre doesn't get involved. Madman Fulton and Congo Kong are going to be uh, trying to get those tag team titles. Super excited for this match. I think it's going to be a that and every other match that they have. Because I was going to say, there's been a lot the of card looks really good. So. There's been a lot of announcements. If you're not already a fan of Battle on the Border. On Facebook, go and check them out, Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. Give them a like. You can also find Battle on the Border Brigade. Become a member of the Battle on the Border Brigade so you can talk with fans as well. And, uh, again, I would go through all of the the members of the Golden Ticket Battle Royal, but (laughs) there's too many right now. And uh, just going to tell you, you got to look up who's going to be in this. uh, Better find out when you get there. There, I'm going to tell you right now, there are some names that I'm super excited about. Just going to get it out of the way. Alpha, uh, Alpha Sigma Sigma. Uh, yep. All three members are going to be there, including Pledge. Super excited about that. We got to watch them at a, a FGW show earlier this year. Oh, yeah. Super impressed for that. Very excited they're going to be at Battle on the Border. But not just them. Pretty much everybody who's being involved in this show. Super excited. This looks like card of the year can match is this going to be show of the year content yeah this is 100 percent going to be show of the year every battle on the border show is always exciting but this one i think this one i'm really really looking forward to this one so and then we may get to see who the masked man is we might and that's so, another thing we didn't even mention the biggest match probably of the <laughs> night which is yeah. going to be team denim blevins against uh army of destiny if Denim wins, he retains control of Battle on the Border and Army of Destiny is disbanded. However, if Army of Destiny somehow and the Masked Man pull out a victory, Denim is no longer in control of Battle on the Border. So a lot is at stake at this next show, which is probably why we are so hyped for it. It's going to be a very interesting match, that's for sure. It's going to be very interesting. We're not going to waste any more of your time, but real quick, we'll go through our social medias. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at the double underscore D underscore podcast. I ended up Deciding that we're going to use that one after all. I'm going back and forth. I'm going back and forth. Double D double underscore D underscore podcast. Twitter, DJ Dub Zero Zero. You can follow me there. Sometimes I tweet about wrestling and other things. You can also follow us on TikTok, the Double D Podcast One. We got a Facebook page you can follow. It's the Double D Podcast. And crew. And crew. Um, obviously, our YouTube page. And uh, <laughs> well, for audio listeners, you can find us it's at Double D Podcast and crew. Yeah, and crew. And uh, we got an email, podcast 123 at gmail.com. Email us about anything. Um, if you just love me, add my snap, Darren, 11345678. And don't forget my DJing business. Yeah. We DJ everything, 812 212 1675. For those of you who watch or listen to us a lot, 
usually Darren has a lot more enthusiasm. <laughs> right now, he's battling a stomach bug. So, yeah, not feeling um, the greatest, that's for sure. Yeah, so it's unfortunate this had to come on the biggest interview we've ever had. On the the show. absolute biggest interview we had on the show. But you know what? He'll be back next week. He'll be back in tip top shape, form, whatever it is for the. Because you're, you're probably a little toasty. I was going to say a little, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, Darren's going to be getting a little bit of a retreat. He's going to be going to Florida, so there will be no yep. new Double D podcast uh, episode for a week. Uh, we'll, next episode will be the review of the show, no doubt. We also yep. have a Cincy Wrestling show review to come up still, yes. so we have a lot left. We have a lot of ideas coming up. You can also use code, not to go back to social media, <laughs> so I just saw the cup. Can't, can't forget our lovely sponsor, W. Yes. You go to W.GG, you can use the code Double D Podcast. That's D O U B L E D P O D C A S T to get 10% off of your orders. You can also go to the description if you're listening on audio or watching the video version of this, and you can find where there's a little link on Linktree. And you can find where we're available as far as audio and video versions of this podcast. Is my snap in there yet? It's not, but we can add it. Well, our social, medias, our, social, our, social medias, our social medias aren't on there either. That's just strictly for – the social medias, if you want to know any of our social medias, they've been in the description for the, uh, of the videos and audios. If they love me, how are they supposed to switch back and forth between the video and Snapchat? Well, just <laughs> if, you're, well if you're watching, that's true. It's not that hard. It really is just Darren1134567789. Yeah. Just, just don't remember. There's no two in it. D a r r e n. Yeah, no eyes in this. No, we don't do eyes around here. All right. On to more important matters. Here is the interview with Rob Conway. Gonna stop the audio. <laughs> hey guys, this is Darren here. Soon to be known as DJD. If you need a DJ for any type of wedding events, parties, even private parties at your own home you can call me at 812-212-1675 or email the double d podcast which is double d podcast 123 at gmail.com i also have a personal pod or personal email it is darren.schneider94 at gmail.com give us a holler and let us make your night very special whether it's a wedding or a private party or a, even a party at your own residence. I mean, you don't have to have a super huge crew. I mean, we've got six wonderful speakers and they will make a world of difference in any party, party atmosphere. So give us a call. 812-212-1675. Thank you. So if you could please introduce yourself to everyone, we would much appreciate it. This is the Iron Man Rob Conway, also known as the Con Man and La Resistance Robert Conway. Thank you for joining us. It is an absolute honor to uh, have you join us. Um, we always ask this question, what was it that got you into professional wrestling as a fan? Uh, growing up watching it on here in, uh, I live in Indiana and uh, right across from Louisville, Kentucky and grew up watching the USWA and pretty much Jerry Lawler and uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage were two of the guys that I liked watching the most on TV. And I got the opportunity that every Tuesday night they would wrestle in Louisville Gardens, and I got to go to that on occasion, starting in like about the fourth or fifth grade. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just seeing it live and 
always something that I liked. I never dreamed that I would ever get into it. It wasn't something as a kid I thought would happen. I was a basketball player and never thought someone like how would you even get into professional wrestling? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what was it that finally made you get into professional wrestling? I mean, when was it that you realized you wanted to become a professional wrestler? Was it when you were watching it? So I played college basketball and I was about 150 pounds. Hmm. And I started uh, lifting weights to get stronger for basketball, and I gained about 30 pounds in like a summer. Okay. So. I started getting built and then I was getting noticed for the way that I looked. And then the college team that I played for wasn't, it was a small college. So there wasn't a lot of people that came to the game. So I kind of lost interest in playing because in high school here, we got four or 5,000 people to a game and then going and playing in front of less people. It just, you know, wasn't much fun. So I started working out more and getting bigger. And then around 96, when D, Right when the DX and NWO hit, people, I was watching, you know, I would tape one on Monday night and watch the other one. Mm -hmm. And uh, people would just ask me if I was a wrestler because I just looked like a wrestler. Right. And I thought, no, but sure would be cool. And one day I was uh, driving through Jeffersonville, Indiana, which is only about 10 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And there was a sign that said, Nightmare Danny Davis Pro Wrestling Training. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they have a live show at seven o'clock on Sundays. And I thought, man, I might stop and then watch it. So, so that when you made that move, I mean, were you extremely, I mean, how nervous were you to make that step into becoming a professional wrestler? Was it something you had to think over for a while? I mean, well, I had to think it over for a while because it cost like three grand. Oh, well, at the time to train right. and once you signed the contract you had to pay it right uh but once i started like i told everybody that i knew that i was going to do it and then it was the training was much harder than i thought it was going to be mm-hmm. but i couldn't quit because i already told everybody i was going to do it right yeah that was the next question i was going to ask you uh, about the training i mean what was the hardest part of the training at first <laughs> Uh, I mean, it was physically wasn't, I mean, I don't want to say it wasn't demanding, mm-hmm. but I mean, I was 240 pounds, 20, you know, four years old and athletic. Right. I mean, I could dunk a basketball easily, you know, it was, mm-hmm. so physically it was fun. Right. What was harder was mentally mm-hmm. the, uh, the being patient. Like I really thought that I would, trained for like three or four months and I would be wrestling the rock and stone cold because the way I looked. Right. I didn't realize how much of a skill it is Mm -hmm. and how much you have to learn to, to even just to have a match, not even to be good. I mean, but when you're real new to it, you think you're good really quick. I mean, you you go from knowing nothing to knowing something and you're just like, man, I'm great. And then, you watch those matches back now and go, gosh, that was really not good. <laughs> right. Right. So let's jump into your career. I'll let you start your career. Where was this? Where, where did you start in your professional wrestling career? I started out at Ohio Valley Wrestling. What was that like? That, I mean, that was, uh, you know, like 20 of us in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. It eventually got condemned, mm-hmm. but we had a lot of matches. So I, we practiced two times a week and we had, 
I had 167 matches in my first year in front of people. Mm-hmm. And we trained twice a week, and I had a full-time job. So it was every pretty much waking moment was when I was at work selling fitness equipment, all I was thinking about was wrestling, right? working out and wrestling. And uh, luckily for me, after I'd been there for three years, mm-hmm. WWE decided to make Ohio Valley Wrestling their developmental territory. Right. So, you know, they would send, they sent us Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton and Batista and Cena and mm-hmm. Big Show and Mark Henry came down there and then I already was there and was kind of a top guy. So, I mean, I think the reason I got signed by the WWE wasn't because they were like, man, this guy can't miss, but I was one of the, me and Nick Dinsmore were the guys in practice that had more experience than those guys. And we were the ones that would, Danny didn't get in the ring anymore. He would say, Rob, Nick, you know, show Brock how to do a headlock, show this guy how to do something or getting, you know, one of us would wrestle most of the time, wrestle each one of them. Right. So that moment that you did make the move from OVW to WWE, what was that like? I mean, was that, did you feel like you had made your, your, you know, your dream come true or your, you know, hit your goals? I mean, what was the feeling? Well, I mean, definitely getting on TV was a, a goal. It wasn't the end goal, but right. you know, you, when you first, you just want to have a match. But I mean, when I signed up with Danny Davis, he asked me point blank, what do you want to get out of this? I said, if I don't make it to the WCW or WWE, I would consider this to be a complete failure. Mm. Like I wasn't an independent wrestling fan. Right. I was a guy who had a goal to be on the, at the big stage. And I mean, which was kind of naive mm. at the time because, you know, the chances of making it are pretty slim, but I didn't know that. So when I, when I got to Raw, I was excited, but it was just, it was all, I never really, uh, throughout my career until the last probably five years, I never really kind of stopped to take in the sights and, you know, smell the roses, everything, you know, when you reach a goal, if you win a bodybuilding contest of one, you know, all those things, the next day is like, okay, so now what? Right. So, I mean, once you're on... You get the raw, it's like, okay, now pay-per-view, now championships, now action figure. You know, it's, it's always, you know, what's next? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that means that you're a driven person. I mean, it's always good to continue setting goals. Not that I have to tell you about being driven. From what I've heard, you're one of the most driven people uh, that Denim knows. Um, what was some of your favorite memories from your time in uh, WWE? I mean, there was lots of them. I mean, the, you know, the debut, I got to, you know, I knocked out the Dudley boys mm-hmm. to, you know, getting a chance to wrestle the Rockers. Yeah, I was you watching know, that earlier. chances yeah. of that happen? So when they told me we were wrestling the Rockers, I said, who are the Rockers? <laughs> I thought it was a new team because it was like, oh. Marty hadn't been there since 91. This was 2004. Yeah. Right. So and they were like, Marty and Sean. I was like, Marty's back? Like, that's awesome. I mean, it was a pretty surreal moment, you know, getting to work with The Rock and Mick Foley. That was the, you know, the I've never heard the crowd louder than when The Rock hadn't been there for a couple of years and he, the music hit and interrupted mm-hmm. us. So that was, that was unbelievable. And then, you know, outside of La Resistance as the con man, if you, there, we had a show called Homecoming. Yep. Where we went from, 
one network back to USA Network, and I was in the ring with pretty much everybody that you'd ever heard of in your life that was a retired wrestler. It was, you know, that made it to the top. I mean, Pat Patterson and, you know, Harley Race and Dusty Rhodes hit me with an elbow, and I got the claw in Dallas, Texas from Kevin Von Erich. I mean, yeah. Jimmy Schnooka Splash and Hacksaw hit me with a two-by-four. I mean, <laughs> most people would just like to get a picture with those guys. I was going to say, it's very rare you hear somebody be excited about getting hit by a two by with a two-by-four, but when it's from Hacksaw Jim Duggan, it makes perfect sense. I mean, so tell us a little bit about La Resistance, because I'm going to be, I'm going to age myself a little bit here. I'm only 23 years old. So when I was growing up, I remember in 2000, I think it was SmackDown versus Raw 2006. I think that was the game that you were in. And I remember that. Well, how did that team come about? What was that? Uh, I mean, you know, the idea behind it. Well, first it was Rene Dupree and uh, Sylvan Grenier. And what happened was during that period of time in politics, France didn't want to get involved in, you know, with the allies in any of the things that were going on with the Middle East. Right. So they were kind of labeled as cowards, you know, by people. So mm-hmm. these two guys were both from Montre- Montreal and Quebec and they spoke French. So they, they were pretty young. Rene was younger than Sly, but he had a, more experience. Mm-hmm. And so Vaughn was a great guy and great athlete, but didn't have a lot of experience, but they, they were French. They fit the bill. They put them out there. They had a ton of heat. I mean, everybody hated them. And then uh, eventually they brought me in because there was, I think, a couple reasons. One is they were going against the Dudleys, and there were three Dudleys. Right. And then the other was that even though they were already on television, I'd been doing it longer. So Mm -hmm. it was, was, uh, I think, a way to stabilize them. And then there, you know, there'd be three of us and I'd been doing it long enough. And like Renee couldn't even rent a car. He was too young. So, <laughs> so he had to travel with me right? and things like that. But it was, I mean, we got along great. The, the matches we got to have with people like it was, it was instant. When we walked out, it didn't matter who we were going against that night. They were probably the most popular team in the building. Right. Right. So it was just a blast. Yeah, I mean, I, I was watching some videos over the past week or so. I mean, it seems like it seems like it, it seems like there was a lot of videos that involved you on YouTube where there was a lot of loud reactions. I mean, what was I mean? You said it earlier. It was there was what's the feeling when you're in the ring and there's just such a loud reaction, even if it's against you? What I mean has to feel. Well, great. I mean, with, it's like music to your ears when you're wanting to have them against you. Right. I mean, every boo is like you're just like soaking it up. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean. I mean, to be honest with you, as a as a heel, the the most fun is to lose. Right. As long as you keep yourself strong enough that when you finally lose, and that you know twenty thousand people go one, two, three, and then explode, you know it's pretty cool. But when you win, it I mean, the reaction is definitely different. I mean, you leave with you know heat and the people not liking it, but it's still not as much fun as hearing them finally happy right absolutely yeah, that makes sense um so what brought the end to your wwe career i mean was there a mutual agreement was it just i mean what what, what brought up that along well it was a couple factors is that 
you know, they split us up from La Resistance. And it wasn't because we really ran our course, but they wanted all of the the kind of anti-American response to go to Muhammad Hussein. Right. So uh, whenever they split us up, they put Sylvan on SmackDown and me on Raw. They never really had like, you know, ideas like mm-hmm. what they were going to do with us. They just wanted to split up the team. So I had came up with the con man idea, which was like a Rick Rude type of character mm-hmm. with one of the writers. And we started it and it started to do good. And then what happened was, is there was another writer who was the lead writer and he had been off writing a movie. Mm-hmm. So when he came back, he really never got the idea of the character. It just wasn't something he liked. Right. So for the most part, I went from beating everybody to just losing all the time mm-hmm. and having, and it was directly, it was just, he didn't like the, the character. Yeah. And as far as reactions go, like, it's funny because when it came out with La Resistance, we had some of the loudest reactions. But when I became a singles wrestler, the music they gave me <laughs> got some of the, mm-hmm. I mean, it, the crowd could be going crazy and that music would hit and it would just kill it. I would be like all jacked backstage ready to go and my music would hit and I'd be like, oh my God, (laughs) it's bad. I mean, it was funny, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly, you know, time to play the game or Stone Cold's, you know, glass breaking. It was like, uh, I don't know, when they were writing, it was like me, the first time I heard it, I was in the position to walk out, but I thought it was Kerwin White's music that he had just wrestled. Mm. And they, they were playing his music on the way back because right. he had like a lounge song too. Yeah. When I heard it and they said, that's you, go out. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> right. <laughs> First time you hear your music is on your entrance. So you didn't get to practice any entrance. Or... Oh, okay. Yeah, it's that's put you on the fly situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially when you don't like it and you're really, <laughs> you're really put on the spot. <laughs> It's almost a legendary entrance now because it's so bad. I've heard it. I know what it's you're talking about. It's one of the top five worst entrance themes of all time. It's almost so bad that it makes it good. You know, it's like a Sharknado type deal. Like it's almost like I like. I personally, I like. It. I think it's kind of you know. It's. I get what you're saying though. I mean, it's just. But if not, you were like, "Hey, I need to bench press 400 pounds. Yeah. I'm going to take some pre-workout, and put my headphones on," it wouldn't get you. No, we put that music on. No, 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 it's not going to. No, it was, it's not the the man. I can't wait to see this guy. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, post WWE, what uh, path did your your career take you? I mean, for the most part, as my in ring career kind of took off in a positive way after I left the WWE because. As much as I love the WWE, you're limited on what you can show that you can do. Mm, right. So in the WWE, I mean, there's plenty of times where you said, hey, man, you got a really good match planned out. And I'd be like, nope, <laughs> not at all. Right. That's not what they want. Yeah. They didn't want a good match. They wanted, you know, something that was okay so that the crowd wasn't too worn out for the next match. Mm. You, just, you know, you have three and a half minutes. How good could it be? Yeah, but when you get to the independence and and like when I got to go to New Japan, you know, thirteen trips and and be with the NWA, the you know the 
the leeway on the length of the matches and what you can do. They don't really handcuff you and mm. tell you you can't go outside the ring and you can't use certain moves, can't go to the top rope. I mean, there's a lot of with television you know here there's a lot of limitations because there's people that that are going to do things later and mm-hmm. and they'll just tell you hey you can't do that you know and some of it's even like basic moves but there's so many people and there's only so many moves right right but yeah going to the nwa becoming the nwa world heavyweight champion was a big deal for me yeah, that's it. So that led to me, you know, wrestling in front of, you know, 15, 20,000 people each pay per view over in Japan and led up to me eventually losing the championship in front of 40,000 people with Harley Race holding the belt up mm-hmm. at the Tokyo Dome. I was going to say, what was that like wrestling in Japan? Because they take it super seriously over there. I mean, it's a different culture, it's a different type of, you know, crowd response. What was it like in Japan? Well, the thing is, is that if you go to the bigger cities, like, um, you know, obviously Tokyo, the fans react the same way they do here. Mm, okay. Some of the smaller towns, they still kind of sit and just clap when something happens, almost like a tennis match. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I noticed when I watch it back on video is that the, the volume on the microphone for the crowd is not that high. The, there's more volume for your sound on the in-ring stuff like you can really hear the bumps and you can hear the chops Mm. and the crowd's going crazy but if they don't emphasize for them they're not trying to show people at home how loud the crowd is right but yeah the 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 bigger towns uh where it's they're a little more westernized so they're used to cheering and booing and things like that but when we would have the shows during the week in between the big towns so a lot of times you couldn't even i mean it didn't even matter if it was their top guys like you know okada and tanahashi mm-hmm. uh, it, you couldn't tell if the crowd was having a good time or not but they were they were sold out right i mean that has to be what was it like i mean so i mean is there any i mean you mentioned your favorite moment from japan i mean did you what was the culture i mean it's a different culture just outside of wrestling in japan did you live in japan i mean how long were you in japan for each trip i would go for anywhere from a week to three weeks at a time okay gotcha so in that time i mean what was japan like i mean just as a country i mean i mean it's really clean the people are quiet they're real respectful uh the um the fans are different than they are here. It's it's almost like they're they're real reserve. Uh, they're passionate, but real reserve and respectful. Right. I mean, not that they aren't here, but they, they. It's just different. It's it would be like if almost treated like it was the NFL or NBA. You know, outside of the the venues, you know, here sometimes still people will come up and say they hate you or something like that, but they're not like not like that right uh and uh but the wrestlers are really good yeah to make it to to that level those uh, the japanese guys most of i mean their training is so more it's so much more thorough yeah because there's not as many of them i mean there's a lot of wrestlers here in the united states mm-hmm. over there in order to become a wrestler you have to live in a dojo for the first like 90 days you can't leave I mean, you wash the clothes and cook and, 
get beat up for four or five hours a day and have to work out. And they really teach a lot of like respect to the, to the people that came before them. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I mean, I just really, it's one of the, you know, just, it was one of the other places other than the United States where you can, you can wrestle in front of big crowds and, and make a living doing it. Right. Absolutely. Um, I know we're jumping kind of ahead here, but I know you're a busy man. We're not trying to hold you up. Uh, Battle on the Border. When did you get involved with Battle on the Border? I got involved like before they had their first event. When he was uh, thinking about doing it, he contacted me. Uh, we talked about, you know, some things that he could do. Denim, a lot of times when people promote events, the very, the early ones, they learn by losing money. You're right. You know, they maybe pay people too much. They they pay too much for the ring, too much for the building. And, mm-hmm. and it leads to them having one show and that being the end of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about some of, some of that and, you know, what is a reasonable amount for, you know, pay and how much you should spend on a building and, and, and things like that. And then, also making it an event like because it's a, the difference between the WWE and a lot of other places is when you people who don't even watch wrestling will go to a WWE event right because it's kind of a spectacle mm-hmm. and you know just having a, a ring in the middle of a gym with no barricades and and different you know every chair is a different kind of chair I mean yeah. And, and Denim really, you know, decided to go into it because he was, he promotes other events. So he went into it thinking, I'm going to have professional shows. I want people to, to not feel like what he's putting on is a step down from anybody. Right. And that's what I think he's been able to accomplish is that just about everybody that goes to an event comes back. They're not disappointed. Yeah they're they're always they always leave knowing that that they got their money's worth yeah absolutely we've been working with him for about a little about a year now yeah and it's been it's been a great experience i mean he it's very professional shows are always well done what's your favorite battle on the border moment so far uh in your career here well i was the the first uh we had a tournament for the first ever champion mm-hmm. when he got a brand new belt and everything and then when i became the inaugural champion then the next month he had had t-shirts that they were selling with my picture on them that said you know first ever battle of the border champion and stuff like that so that was you know being in on it in an early stage and then just watching it grow and i mean like i said a lot of places have one show and that's it but right. he really managed to to give people something that they're going to enjoy and, and run it professionally. And now he's been around like, was it five or six years now? Yes. I mean, even to, to make it through COVID and still be able to run events. It's great. Absolutely. Um, You are currently tag team champions with Justin Xavier. Um, How has it been being a tag team champion with Justin Xavier? Now he has Bobby Fulton kind of mentoring him. What's your experience been with him so far? Uh, he's, it's been great, man. He's, uh, he's like 
you know, really athletic Mm -hmm. and it's like wanting to, to get better all the time. And that's the thing is that sometimes when people become a champion someplace, they think that they made it. Right. And really it's just the beginning because then you have to kind of prove not only can you put on good matches, but that people will come to see you. Right. And having Bobby with him, who's, you know, Bobby's a real gentleman and one of the class people in this business. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't think of anybody better for him to, you know, be listening to. And Bobby's running events. I mean, he's done it all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody that's ever had a negative word to say about Bobby. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he, he's at every show. He, he's very, uh, right now they're in a little bit of a, he has a little bit of a problem with, uh, Fulton or with, um, Spectre Enterprises. He's not a huge fan. That's who you're going to be taking on here coming up next Saturday. Um, going into this match, I mean, what are you, uh, I'm not going to ask you to reveal your game plan or anything, but what's your, I mean, what are you going into this match thinking? Well, we're going to have to really come up with some good tag team moves. I mean, I've been wrestling in tag teams for a long time, but mm-hmm. you know, he's new to it. We're going to have to really work together because both of those guys are bigger than both of us. I mean, right. we're, I'm, I mean, I'm not, both of them are bigger than me and both of them are a lot bigger than him. Right. So it's okay. definitely going to be a challenge for us to, to see what we can do physically, you know, against those two guys and then the thing is is that you know we're trying to i mean it's the the side that i'm on now you know these shows are in ohio and they're in indiana and that's you know that's my backyard so sometimes you're trying to do the best you can to win within the rules Mm. but i know that the guys on the other side don't care right so i'm hoping that we can you know that we can have teamwork but at the same time i'm no stranger to doing whatever it takes so we pretty much just want to go in the champs and lead the champs that's right that's the ultimate goal let me tell you something super excited about this match very uh, looking forward to the whole event uh river's edge march 25th battle on the border night of champions very excited for it um if there's anything uh that you need to promote anything that you want to get out there uh you this is your time now no, I just, when the people come to the event, we'll be there, we'll be signing autographs, we'll be taking pictures of the people. A lot of times people who are wrestling fans, you know, that I don't really like to use that term. I think of them as being an audience and we're all in this together. Mm. But sometimes they'll they'll always go to me and they'll, they'll say, man, you don't understand what a big fan I am mm-hmm. of wrestling. And I say, as a matter of fact, I do. Because I dedicated my whole life to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's a bigger wrestling fan than the guys that wrestle. Yeah. Because not only did they watch it, but now they do it. And I've wrestled in 49 states and 12 countries and had a lot of injuries that if it wasn't, this wasn't something that I loved, that I would have never been able to overcome those. So I just want them to know that when we're out there, that we love wrestling as much as they do. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to end it on. Um, thank you again for joining us. Um, 
it has been an absolute honor and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime and get get a little bit deeper down into things and talk about uh, all your, you know, your whole expansive career. Uh, you know, there's so much that we, we wanted to touch on. But again, you know, busy man, don't want to hold you up doing this uh, silly little podcast we do here. So but thank you again for joining us and uh, we'll make sure to uh, come and say hey to you on uh, March 25th. Oh, yeah. yeah, I look forward to it. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Good having you. Yep. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll see you then. Thank you. Yep. Bye.